You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, we're gonna conclude our series, Talking to Jesus, and the message title, if, you've, if you're taking notes, is Battle Ready, Battle Ready. I told you over the course of the series, we began with, in the first week, uh, we began with this idea that we should establish a priority and a pattern of prayer in our life. Prayer is an invitation. It's an invitation from a supernatural, amazing God to experience heaven's best and his will and purpose for our lives. But uh, it's also an invitation from us to God to say, God, I want, in faith, I want to invite you to do what only you can do in my life, my family. And so prayer is an invitation. Prayer is a conversation. It's not overly complicated. It's not something uh, that has to be done in King James English only. If you didn't talk to your spouse in King James this morning, you probably don't need to talk to God in King James. I'm kidding. Uh, but, but when we come to God, we come as real as that, that we come like a child to their father, like a, like a close friend to their friend, that we come to God with sincerity, with honesty, and with a realness, and, and, and we draw near to God. Jesus, uh, that first week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus said, here's how to pray. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. So we start with relationship. Our Father, God, our Father, we come to you, and then we come with worship. We recognize he's God, and he's amazing, and he's holy and faithful, and, and prayer starts there out of relationship. Prayer is also a habitation, and as I've explained it, by habitation, I mean that it's, it's God wants to be more than a guest in our lives. He wants to be at home. He wants to make his presence at home with us and in our lives. And, and while I know it's theologically true and absolutely biblically true that the day you say yes to Jesus, you become the dwelling place of the presence of God. So that Paul would actually say, don't you know, Christians, don't you know, church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And, and that's absolutely true, but just like you can have a guest in your house that you just tolerate, God doesn't want to be tolerated. He wants to be welcomed and, and made room for, and, and that's what worship does. It draws and prayer does. It creates an environment where God is at home. The last one I've told you, and we started with this at the end of last week, is that prayer is also confrontation. Not with God, of course, but confrontation with the enemy, with opposition. And just like last week, we talked about the importance of persistence. Persistence is never about trying to convince God to do what he doesn't want to do. Persistence is not changing God's mind. Persistence is about knowing God, but also many times overcoming opposition. That's what we're going to look at today. Ephesians chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, and we'll put it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Who are you standing against? Who are you fighting? Well, verse 12 tells us who we're not fighting and who we are fighting. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I know you thought your problem had a Facebook profile. I know you thought your problem had a name, address, phone number, and an email. I know you thought your problem looked like somebody you work with or someone you're related to, but your problem is not with a person. Your fight is actually not with a person. Our fight is not with people. Even in society, in the larger world around us, our fight is not against people. Sometimes we can misidentify the target of our warfare. It's not people. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. And before we think it's just political leaders, it's actually spiritual leaders, because here's what happens. Against the rulers, against authorities, against the, here's what it says, here's how it identifies them. Powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So we don't fight people. People are not the problem. Our battle isn't against people. Our battle against an, identi- an enemy that the, the word of God identifies here. It's a spiritual enemy. You and I are a, in a spiritual battle, whether you knew it or not. Here's what the Bible tells us in Genesis, that the enemy came like a serpent, more cunning than any other, to corrupt and to bring into a good place that God had created good, bring evil into the world through deception and destruction. And here's how he did it. He came in to question the truth of the word of God and introducing a lie. The enemy always wins by one of two things. His tactics are always to bring a lie because we're as bound as the lies we believe and we're as free as the truth we surrender to and apply to our lives. But here's what I want you to catch. Not only, does he, not only does he try to deceive through a lie, but he also tries to redirect worship away from the living God to the creation or to some other source. In fact, you see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that he's not even so much concerned that it's directed at him because any worship that's directed away from God is, is the target of the enemy. And so you see that throughout the Bible, but here's what happens. Satan from the beginning wanted to take what God hated, which was sin. Why does God hate sin? Because it destroys what God loves. And so Satan wanted to take what God hated, which is sin, and put it in the thing that God loves most, which is you and me. Create in the image of God. And because you're created in the image of God, you're created with a nature that is eternal because God himself is eternal. So the, the, the moment our bodies die is not when you cease to exist. You're gonna live on forever, and because of sin, there's something called spiritual death. We die naturally, but we also die spiritually in that, here's what death is, ultimately. It's not just the cease of a body's function, but it's actually separation. And spiritual death is separation from the life of God. And God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to rescue, restore us, redeem us, and give us a home in heaven, so we never had to be separated. It's a good news. And that's what the enemy's fighting against to keep us first from God, but then also when we've received Jesus to fight us in the purpose of God in and through our lives. And here's the good news. The weakest believer is stronger than the biggest devil. So, so, so all of these, like, I mean, he almost lists a category, like a hierarchy of, of, of darkness. And, and let me just say, as the church, we're not, you know, the enemy likes to get us to fight each other. Like, let's get this church against this church and this church trying to be better. No, no, here's, here's the thing. No church should try to be better than another church. We're trying to be better than the dark. That's the enemy. That's the fight. And why that matters is because he divides not only churches, but he divides spouses, He divides families, he divides nations, and he goes to work and you see all these different categories, rulers and authorities and powers, all these things, all of these at work. You know, that's why you can go into one community many times and see almost a pattern of certain, the Bible calls them strongholds, certain things that, you know, maybe it'd be fear or certain addictions or certain things that just seem to affect an area more than another. And, and it's also true in families where the enemy seems to work from generation to generation. Well, I'm, a, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to. But then we repeat the same cycles. Why? Because there's a spiritual battle and the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's talk about how to overcome it. 
Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God, the whole armory, the whole arsenal, uh, the full armor of God. Paul begins to write and he begins to describe the armory or the armament, excuse me, of a Roman soldier. Uh, Paul was familiar with soldiers because he was usually chained to one. And if, 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 if I can help you and I, like there's times where I feel like, man, I'm having a spiritual battle. Like I remember last year for our anniversary service, the screen didn't work, the bathrooms at the mall exploded, and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's like, anniversary service, year two. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes that stuff happens, and, and there are times where there is spiritual warfare, and frankly, there's also times where the devil has nothing to do with it. Like, I don't even need the devil to exist to mess my life up. I just need to run things myself. But it doesn't negate the fact that there's a real enemy, and, and, and when you look at Paul's day, man, he dealt with a lot. Like, we, we, I don't have to convince you the world's going crazy. Like I don't have to convince you. But you know what the world's becoming more like? More like what Paul saw every day. And if he fought that and told the church to overcome through these things I'm gonna list in a moment, then we can too. And the more the church starts looking like the Roman Empire, looking like Rome, it's an invitation for the church to look like the book of Acts. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, and in case we haven't gotten the point yet, he says it again, stand, <laughs> firm then. And here's what he describes. We call it the armor of God. The belt, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up, raise up the shield of faith with which you will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's actually not done. Verse 18 is a part of what he just described. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And he also says, hey, pray for me too, Paul. Pray also for me. So, so prayer is how we apply this weaponry, this armor of God. So, so this is the confrontation we're gonna talk about. I wanna take Paul's framework to establish this. And let me just say first, not everything is the devil. So, so if you take away from this sermon, every mistake I make is the devil made me do it. You missed the point. <laughs> not everything is spiritual opposition, but can I tell you everything in life is spiritual? Everything in life is spiritual. That's why he says pray about everything. Like, like, spiritual stuff isn't just Sunday morning. Like, okay, God's stuff Sunday morning. Everything else is like, I got to deal with. Like, God cares about your family. God cares about your job. He cares about your business. He cares about your future. He cares about everything in your life. It's not like there's God's stuff over here and everything else over here, but we can pray about it all. And when the enemy gets involved to steal, kill, and destroy, I think he does it three ways. He does it first through deception, because every tactic and weapon the enemy is a lie, and it doesn't matter how much the world accepts a lie, if 99% of the population of planet Earth said that's true, but God says it's a lie, it's a lie. Something isn't true because more people accept it as true. Okay, that's a whole other sermon series. He also wins through distraction. None of us have ever dealt with distraction before.
He gets us caught up in what's temporary and missing what's eternal. Sometimes he gets us fighting battles we're not created for, we're not born for. There is a fight you're born for. And the enemy wants to get us distracted into other things that are lesser, that don't matter as much or matter at all. The third thing he does is discouragement. If he can't get you a deception or a distraction, he'll try to wear you down. In fact, this is biblical. And the book of Daniel describes how the enemy wears down the saints. Discouragement. Getting you to throw in the towel, feeling like you'll never change. Things will never change. But the moment we expose the activity of the enemy, we can begin to apply what I've just described. But here's, before we get into those, and we're going to go through them quickly, but I want to, before we do that, I want to read James 4, 7, because this is key to everything. James 4, 7 says, therefore, submit to God. What does it look like to submit to God? It looks like surrendering to God. It looks like saying, God, you're in control. You're the leader of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I'm going to give you it all. I'm going to trust you instead of trusting myself. Submit yourself to God. Then he says, resist the devil. Resist the devil, he shall flee. That's the promise. Like, just in, if those first two things happen, the third thing is inevitable. If we submit to God and then resist the devil, he will flee. Not he might, not he will after some cajoling, but he will. It's the inevitable result of these two first things happening, but both of them are necessary. If I try to resist the enemy's work in my life, if I try to fight the lie or overcome in my own strength, man, I'm gonna work on willpower. Willpower is fine, but if your will's not first surrendered to Jesus, you're always gonna go back to the thing that holds you captive. So we first submit to God. Well, well, well I, I thought I prayed about that in an altar and I, I, I received freedom in that moment. Well, that's the submitting to God part. But what's the next thing? What happens when three days later that issue starts to creep up again? What happens three years later? Because guess what? Sometimes these things try to come back. What do you do? Well, you have to do this next part. It's not enough. Hear me. This may sound wrong, but it's right here in front of you on this verse. It's not enough to submit to God. You have to resist too. We can't resist without the first part, but we've got to be able to do the second part too. And this is what Paul describes. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes we flip them. We submit to the lie and resist what's true. Why would we do that? Well, because we don't recognize it's a lie and we don't recognize it's truth. We, we've heard it so many times. We've heard it repeated so many times. It's the popular opinion, so it must be true. It's, it, okay. <laughs> we submit to fear, we resist faith. We even submit to sin and we resist what's right. We submit to the enemy's plan instead of, and resist God's plan. But, but uh, notice in this verse, there's only two options. It's submit to God, then resist. Those are the two things. Okay, let's go back to Ephesians 6. And we'll go through these quick, but I want, I want you to catch this. Number one is we need to apply what the first thing he describes is the belt of truth. Uh, so, so here's what we need to do. Number one is we need to get real with truth. When it comes to prayer and applying this, we need to get real with truth. What do I mean by that? The enemy's greatest weapon is what we keep in the dark. It's what we... We're always overcome by the thing we try to bury. And the enemy comes with shame, comes with, oh man, you can't bring that to God. You can't talk to God about that. And he comes along with that lie, God doesn't love you. And he points to the thing that's hidden in the dark. And 
as long as it stays in the dark, it, it is empowered by us to rule our lives. Maybe subtly, maybe overtly, but either way, what's kept in the dark actually has greater power. But here's the great news. The moment it's brought to light with God, the moment it's brought to light, it loses its power over us. That's why shame is a lie. <laughs> we get real with what's true. Do you know a Roman soldier had a lot of amazing things? He had the shield, he had the sword, he, they'd also carry a spear, a pylum, which they could throw and launch and take out targets from a distance. They had great armor described here, the helmet, the, all that. Nobody would look at a Roman soldier and say, you know what's impressive? Their belt. Do you know what scares me as an enemy? The belt. Like nobody would say that. But you know, the belt is what holds it all together. It's what pulls everything else together. It's what, it's what, the, what would attach their tools and their weapons on. It's what connected their armor. It's, it, was, it was the most subtle but necessary piece of their equipment. And do you know what truth does for us? It may not look impressive and may not even be what we think is most important to, to apply out of all of this. We're like, I need faith. I need. If you don't have truth holding it all together, none of the others will work. And how do we apply truth in our prayer life? Well, we get real with God. God sees the stuff in the dark. He sees it all. But God who sees it all loves us more than anybody else ever will. That's why shame is a lie. And we bring it to God and we say, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And we get real with God. Here's what the Bible says. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Do you know what I think is a great piece of advice that maybe your mama told you? Always wear clean underwear. Anybody got your kid? Don't raise your hand. But like you got to remind your kids, always wear clean underwear. <laughs> Do you know why it's important to keep your heart clean? Because the things that we fill our life with will rule us if we're not careful. Okay. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is when the price has been paid, Jesus paid the price, and we receive forgiveness, but cleansing's the result that he also promises, that he can take care of the effect of the very thing that he forgave us of. Oh, church, that's good news. But here's the key, he says, if we confess. That's not just like, I gotta go through the list and try to remember every bad thing I did. It's confess literally means to say the same thing. Do you know what the battle in the world is always about? It's always about language. Because if you can redefine something, you can change what it means. And if we reduce something that's labeled poison and we say, well, it's just, it's just grape juice. We're, we're making that thing that's actually destructive acceptable. And that's what the enemy tries to do. We go, well, that's just, I just got an issue. But, but maybe it's not an issue. Maybe it's actually something that Jesus died on the cross to free me from. And he wants to free me. And he's given me the ability through the Holy Spirit's power to overcome this. So if we confess, what does it mean? We, we say the same thing that God says about it. Okay. We say, God, search me. Like David in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Because sometimes, let's just be honest, I think I'm right and I ain't. Bad grammar, good theology. Like, I, I just, uh, number two, let's go through these next ones faster. Uh, number two is guard yourself with righteousness. Righteousness is not just right 
applying or doing, but it's also right standing with God. And, and when we receive Jesus in our lives, we receive the gift of righteousness. That is, we're made right with God. But when righteousness is a piece of armor, like Paul describes, it's actually the part of the armor that covered the vital organs, that covered the heart. And when I apply that, that Jesus put me right with God through my relationship with him, and then I apply righteousness to the way I think, the way I talk, the way I live, here's what happens. I'm guarding my heart from garbage. Why is that important? I, I, I know you know, there's always the trend of, and I, this is great, you know, we, I, I, we, we should eat healthy after we finish our ice cream today. <laughs> but some of us are much more concerned what we put in our body and far less concerned what we put in our heart. And he says, guard your heart, cover your heart, surround, guard your heart with righteousness. Number three, stand your ground in peace. He says, let your feet be covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why does he call it the good news or the gospel of peace? Because peace in a Roman soldier's equipment, his footwear would include guards that would cover his shins up to his knees. So as they were traveling, as they were marching, they would walk through hazards and not be as easily affected by them. But here's what a Roman soldier's footwear also had. At the bottom of their footwear, they had something equivalent to what we would have on athletic cleats, something with like spikes, and they would have certain things that would be attached to their sandals to give them grounding so that when a Roman soldier was standing their ground, they would dig in, and their footwear would dig into the ground. So if they were in mud, they wouldn't slide as easily as another soldier would. They would dig in when the enemy was marching or advancing or pushing against them and they could stand their ground. Here's how Paul describes it. Your shoes are peace. Peace is what grounds you when the enemy's pushing against you. Peace is what grounds you and, and fixes you when all of the world and all the pressure and all of the anxieties and fears, all that stuff surrounding and pushing in and closing in around you, you have peace that's a security you can dig into. He said it this way in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. Pray about everything. And here's the result of that activity, the peace of God. Go to the next verse. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. Have you ever prayed about something? I mean, really, you gave it to God and, and immediately you begin to feel peace. Nothing's changed yet, but now you have peace. Why? It's not in my hands anymore, it's in God's hands. Prayer invites peace to be your foundation, your grounding, your weapon. You will keep him, Isaiah says, in perfect peace, complete peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What does prayer do? Prayer says, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now, but instead of facing the worry and anxiety with my own efforts and feelings, I'm gonna bring it to the God who forms the heavens and the earth, who breathes and galaxies appear. I'm gonna give it to him. He can handle this way better than I can. Have you ever had a, a financial problem and you call your family member? You're like, hey, I need help. <laughs> can you deal with this? Can you help me? Some of you are like getting that phone call right now from your kids. They're grown and you're like, go to voicemail. I got ice cream to get today. 
But there's something about us trying to do it on our own or giving it to God. And we say, I'm, I'm gonna try to fix this on my own. I gotta manage it, I gotta, I gotta stay up late, I gotta worry about it, I gotta solve it. And, and I'm not saying we don't plan and we don't work hard, that's biblical, we need to do that. But we first need to start with prayer. Often the result of a lack of peace comes from the absence first of prayer. We stand our ground in peace. You know what a Roman soldier would do? Not only would they stand their ground, but that footwear enabled them to march through difficult terrain. And when they face the enemy, they'd knock them down with their shield and they could trample right over the top of them. And, and your peace is not just how you defend against the onslaught of pressure, but it's how you advance. Peace is actually an advancement. Peace is a weapon. Oh, church, you know what Paul said in Romans? He said, I know that the God of peace, God of peace, he's gonna soon crush Satan under your feet. Not just his, He's already defeated the enemy. Number four is raise your faith. Raise your faith. The shield is the only part of a Roman soldier's equipment that required daily maintenance. It was made up of, it had elements of metal, usually at the center. It had wood as its base, but then it was overlaid with strips of leather that if they weren't maintained with careful daily uh, wiping down of oil to keep it from getting brittle. If a Roman soldier didn't maintain their shield, then the moment they hit something in a battle, it could easily break and shatter. But, but by maintaining it with oil every day, they would have a rag and they'd have oil and they'd pour it across the shield and they'd wipe it over there so that the leather would be flexible. But a shield that's not raised is useless. He says, raise your shield against every, he uses the term, fiery dart. See, in those days, not only, you know, I, I grew up with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Remember that? Like way back in the day? Shoot a fiery arrow, they just wrap it in kerosene or something at the end. But, but in that day, they would also take arrows that were literally hollowed out along the, 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 the wood of the arrow and they'd fill it with fuel. So that when it was launched upon impact, it would explode with flames. And why that's important is because the way the enemy tries to attack is not just with the initial impact of the lie, not just with the word that they said and the, the, the thing they talked about and how they cursed you and how they blamed you and how they walked out on you, but it's the impact of the bitterness that remains afterward. It's all the stuff that comes. Here's how we overcome that. We raise our faith like a shield. Every time he sends a lie in your direction, you respond with faith. <laughs> Number five is hold on to the hope of salvation. Hold on to the hope of salvation. He says to cover your head with the helmet of salvation, but in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, if we could put it on the screen, he adds something that he doesn't say in Ephesians. He says, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you know what salvation does? Yes, it brings us the, the promise of, home, of a home in heaven. Forgiveness now, walking in a relationship with God. Do you know what salvation also provides you? It provides you a hope that nothing in this world can give and nothing can take away. How can these Christians in the first century that Paul would write to, many of them would face such persecution that if they would not declare Caesar as Lord and renounce Jesus as Lord, 
Like we, we don't know always the weight of those statements, but to make those statements, literally to do business in the market, you had to declare Caesar's Lord and offer a sacrifice. So you just go to, the, go to Hy-Vee. <laughs> and yet that's what they walked into. And if they wouldn't, not only many times would they be forbidden to do business, but sometimes they would literally be brought into places like the Colosseum and, and brought before lions and brought and killed and martyred for their faith. How can they do that? Because they had a hope that the worst thing the devil could do is send them to heaven quicker. Oh, church, if we would have our eyes set on eternity, we'd have a hope that's unshakable, a hope that's not just based on something temporary, and God wants to do something today, but a hope that's secured with a future in heaven. Hope is a confident expectation of God's goodness. It's not just something wishy-washy. It's not like, well, I hope things are better. <laughs> hope things change. No, no, no. It's a confident expectation because of who God is. And, and when we wear the helmet of salvation in prayer and we say, God, I'm clinging to hope. God, you're good. You're always good and you have a promise that you'll fulfill in my life. First Peter 3.15 says, but also here's our ministry to the world. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for what? The hope that you have. The world is looking for hope, I'm telling you. Number six, the last one, is to declare God's word. One day, Jesus baptized in the Jordan River Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. It says he was led then by the, will, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. While he's in the wilderness, being tested, after 40 days of fasting, he's physically depleted and weary. Jason, if you want to come up. He's physically depleted. And the enemy, the serpent, same one who went into the garden and told the first people, has God really said? <laughs> Has God really said that? God's actually trying to hold out on you. God's trying to keep the best from you. He doesn't want you to have any fun. Same lie that we've always had. And, and, and he comes to Jesus, who at the Jordan River saw heaven open and the voice of the Father from heaven, you can read in Luke chapter three, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first accusation or lie of the enemy, the serpent, comes along and he says, if you're the son of God, I know that's what heaven just said, but if you are. And he begins to lay out temptations three times. The enemy, the devil, tested Jesus. And three times Jesus responded with this. Here's how the word of God becomes a sword. When you open your mouth and declare it in prayer. When this becomes, here's two, two things. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Do you know what the battle is in the world? And this has been the battle for the last, especially the last hundred years in the church. It's been the authority of this. And do you know what happens when the enemy begins to have access into my life? It's when I no longer allow this to be the final authority. See, here's how he works. He's like a puppet master. He attaches this care and this worry and this snare and this shame and he, he begins to pull the strings in my life to get me to do what he wants me to do away from the will and purpose of God. But here's what happens when I then put my life in submit to God before I resist the devil, the word of God like a sword cuts the strings. Do you know why he fights the authority of the word in your life? Because he's trying to keep you from the greatest weapon that you have in prayer. 
The Bible actually says that the angels of heaven outnumber hell two to one. And the angels of God heed the voice, not of my feelings, not of my, oh God, I need you. Is that a valid prayer? Absolutely, I've prayed it many times. Pretty good at it now. But you know what the angels respond to? The multitude of heavenly hosts. And, and if you know what the Bible says about angels, they ain't, they're, not, they're not cute naked baby angels. They're warriors that fight the dark we're talking about. And they fight for you. Heaven unleashes his armies, God's armies. In fact, the Bible actually calls the Lord the Lord of hosts. Hosts as heavenly armies. But you know what they respond to? This. That's why praying God's word is so powerful. It says the angels heed the voice of God's word. They respond at attention like a soldier waiting for orders. And here's what's gonna pass away. Opinions are gonna pass away. Arguments and philosophies will pass away. Generation after generation. Today's greatest opinions will be forgotten tomorrow like a breath. But there is one thing that is worth building our life on that will free us when we allow its authority to come over our lives. And there's one thing Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, this one. How is it a sword? Paul would say later that the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. A Roman soldier's sword had two sides, two blades on either side. And in Greek, that word two-edged means literally two mouths. The first mouth is when God spoke in his word. But what completes the edge of the sword is when God's people allow his word to be on their lips. Not just complaining about the way things are and not just pointing fingers and blaming the wrong person. And, and No, no, but we allow God's word to be the authority. We submit to God then with the word of God. Here's how Jesus, I want to beat up the devil the way Jesus did. Jesus said, it's written. I know what the lie you're telling me, but it's written. It's written. And if you don't know, Jesus quoted three times to the book of Deuteronomy. You can read it in Luke chapter four. If he can beat up the devil with Deuteronomy, you and I have 66 books to give the, battle, the devil a headache with. But here's what's important. We submit to God. We say, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And then I'm gonna fight. And this fight isn't just for you, it's for you, but it's also for your family and every person that your life is gonna impact. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and we're gonna pray. All altar team would come to the forward, to the front. There's this great story we won't turn to for time, but David is the one who killed Goliath, you know, the David and Goliath story. And he took down the giant. And years later, some guys gathered around David that were in distress, it says. They were in debt. They were discontented. They were just, they were a mess. They get around David, who's a giant slayer, future king. And something begins to happen in these people because you tend to reflect what you associate with most. And uh, 
They see the way David fights and they start fighting like David. They see the way David prays. They start praying like David. They see the way he gets alone with God. They see all these things about David's life and they begin to emulate it until these men become mighty men of David. They, they're like the Navy SEALs of the Old Testament. It's pretty cool. And, and these guys do amazing exploits. There's one guy I wanna highlight. His name's Eleazar and here's what he does. He has a sword and he fights all day long with that sword until at the end of the battle, his hand is almost like, almost clasped where he can't even move it. It's, it's like fixed, almost paralyzed over the sword where he can no longer open his hand. And that sword is almost like it's become part of him at the end of the battle. Like he just can't let it go. You say, well, that sounds like a bad thing. But you know what? What happens when we begin to use the word of God? You begin to pray the word of God. You begin to stand. I know what the enemy says. And he says, this is over. He says, my marriage is over. He says, my health is over. My future is over. But then God's word comes along and says, oh, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. And you begin to take, oh, this is what's written. And you begin to stand in faith on the word of God. You know what begins to happen? That sword that used to feel like, man, it's awkward praying this. It's, I don't know all these verses. But, but at the end of the battle, you go, this is a part of me. And the next time the enemy shows up, what comes out of you isn't, oh, here it goes again. No, you're ready for him this time. You start responding with the word. I'm telling you, this, like, in my darkest moments, I've learned to draw this out because my feelings aren't gonna help, but his word, that'll win the battle every day. It'll win the battle every day. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll be out here in just a moment. We got ice cream waiting for you. But here's what I want you to know. Today, God loves you. He's fighting for you. He always has. When I was running from God, and I ran, I ran, tell me, I'll tell you. But when I was running, he was still pursuing me and he's doing the same for you. He loves you so much. He has freedom for you. But as I've described to you today, freedom is found in first surrendering to God. Before we can fight that thing in our life that's overcoming us, before we can even be free of it, the thing that's keeping us from moving forward, we need to submit everything to God. We need to surrender. And today I wanna to ask you, if you don't have a relationship with God, have you surrendered to Jesus? It's the most important decision I ever made. On the day that I remember I was at a crossroads and I, I knew if I went one direction, I was gonna go down that road and probably never come back. Or I could surrender my life to Jesus. And that moment of surrender, the grace of heaven rushed in and rescued my life. Changed everything. I've never regretted surrender and I'm telling you, you won't either. There's freedom on the other side of your yes to Jesus. There's hope, there's peace, there's a future, there's a home in heaven on the other side of surrender. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God and you'd like to, I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer to open up your heart to God. You say, that's me, Brian, I need Jesus in my life. I've never surrendered my life to God. I've been doing it my way. I tell you, you'd like to give him everything. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him. If you're in here and you say, you know what? I've known Jesus, I've been a Christian, but along the way I got discouraged, I got distracted, 
I even bought a lie or two. And I thought it was over. Today, I want to come back home. And he rededicated my life to Jesus. If either of those are for you, for the first time, or to recommit your life to God and invite him in through surrender. If you say, that's me, I want to give him everything. I want you to lift your hands to God. Say, I need Jesus. Lift your hands to God. Raise it high. And I ask you to pray this with me. You know, there was one thing that made the enemies of the Roman armies tremble, and it was the sound of marching. The Romans came like an unstoppable force, and when the church prays, it's unstoppable. When the church prays together, it's unstoppable. And I'm going to ask everyone in here to pray with us to encourage those that are responding to God in this moment. This is why Jesus came. He died on the cross. He took your sin and mine. He paid the ultimate price and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he rose again three days later. And he invites us to life. If you're responding to God, hands lifted, and say, I need Jesus in my life. Pray this with me. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray this with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today, be my Savior and be Lord of my whole life. Today, I surrender everything, all to you. And from this day forward, I follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we go, I'm going to pray for those who are in a battle right now. Sometimes face discouragement. We've all been there. I've been there. And you just need someone to pray with you. If you're in a fight right now, maybe it's the fight of your life. Can I just encourage you that God's a miracle worker? He really is. Like he, He's restored in this very room marriages that people wrote, wrote off. He's, he's healed bodies. He's set captives free. He's, he's broken addictions. He's He's rescued those who are overcome by fear and shame. And today, someone's getting set free from the spirit of fear because it's not your inheritance. It's not your future. It's not who you are. It's not what you've been given. <laughs> I, I don't, somewhere along the way, we try to reduce things to what we can do on our own. We go, well, let's, let's just, just manage that. No, no, no. Resist it. <laughs> Submit to God, resist, he'll flee. He came to Jesus three times, one after another. And then he left till an opportune time, it says in Luke 4. Can I just pray for you? If you're in a battle right now, just lift your hands to God. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody with you has got their hand lifted. Put your hand on the shoulder if it's okay. Just pray with them. Pray for them. Stretch your hand towards them. Father, in Jesus' name right now, we pray against discouragement, against hopelessness against the lie that says things will never change, against the lie that says I've gone too far, I've done too much, I've made too many mistakes, and it's over. It's not over. It's not over. There's always hope with Jesus. There's always hope. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we come against fear. As your word says, this is how you pray the word of God. As your word says, you have not given us a spirit of fear. So in the name of Jesus, we command fear to leave. It has to leave. And we receive today what your word promises. Sound mind. <laughs> Power, love, a sound mind. 
freedom, hope in Jesus. God, we love you. We honor you today. We bless your people. I thank you today for what you've done in three years. We know the best is to come because of who you are and what you promised. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, if you need prayer today. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.